Hey everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we talk about all things beauty through the lens of well-being. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. So before we get into the episode, I just want to highlight a few things that we have published at mindbodygreen.com recently that I am very proud of. The first one is a new sleep series that the team is doing called The Wind Down. So we always talk about how important sleep is for skin here on this podcast. It is why I always ask about people's sleep habits and well-being habits at the end of the podcast. So I thought that it would be a great feature for you guys to check out and learn from. The series basically just interviews a lot of wellness folks and talks about what they do before they go to bed, you know, things like how they settle in, how they get their mindset in a place where they feel comfortable falling asleep, and how they stay asleep. And because skincare is such a big part of a lot of people's routines, I am sure a few skincare tips will sneak in there throughout the series. I put a link to it in the show notes. Definitely go check it out. Another ongoing series that has been a part of our brand for quite a while, but I haven't highlighted yet, is the series called Healthy Planet, Healthy You. So this is a series all about how we can treat the planet better and the science behind why we need to prioritize keeping the planet healthy. It is done by our incredible sustainability editor, Emma Lowy. I love her and I love her work. So you have to check it out. And then finally, a fun little beauty one that Hannah Fry, our assistant beauty editor, just wrote. It is all about breakup hair and why we uh, decide that all of a sudden we need bangs right after a breakup. It was super, super fascinating, and it delved into the psychological reasons behind it, and then it also talked to hairstylists about how you can change up your hair after going through a major life event, but, you know, do so in a way that you are not going to regret it in a week or so. I loved the story. It was super interesting. Definitely check it out. Again, those are all linked in the show notes. But on to today's episode. So today we are talking about pregnancy safe skincare. Or I guess more appropriately, we are talking about how confusing pregnancy safe skincare actually is. To do so, I invited on Dr. Sam Ellis. She is a California-based board-certified dermatologist who recently became a mother herself. Uh, You know, we talk about her journey to motherhood throughout the episode I am somebody who is not pregnant. I am somebody who is not a mother, but I am certainly somebody who is at a stage in their life where I am thinking about this stuff more and more. And I really thought this episode served as a really nice reminder to, you know, just go easy on yourself and to take care of your body, but also to not put too much pressure on yourself that you need to do everything perfect. I really, really love talking to Dr. Ellis. I think you guys will really enjoy listening in on the conversation. So without further ado, let's go ahead and start the episode. Dr. Alice, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today. And I know the conversation that we are going to be, you know, diving into is one that I have had so many people reach out and ask me to do an episode about you know, uh, skincare during pregnancy and breastfeeding, et cetera, et cetera. And I know that you just had a child yourself, so you are a perfect expert to chat about this. Not to mention you have gorgeous skin, so I just want all of your tips regardless. (laughs) But, you know, I this is an episode that I have had so many people ask me to do, so I am so, so excited to have it. But before we get into all of that, I always love to have my audience get to know you a little bit better as well as myself. So why don't we just start off by hearing your story? What was your journey into medicine and more specifically dermatology? Yeah. So, you know, I don't have any doctors in my immediate family, so I actually never thought about becoming a doctor. But growing up, I always loved science. It was always my favorite. I loved biology. I loved physiology. But for some reason, I never really thought about the idea of becoming a physician. And it wasn't until I started my undergraduate education at UCLA 
and I had declared a biology major that when I was picking my classes, the counselor was like, oh, these are pre-med classes. And I thought, oh, should I like, should I be a doctor? And at that point, I didn't make any you know, intense decisions. That's a really big choice to make. But I continued with my pre-medical education and I just found that all of the things I was learning were interesting to me. And the other passion that I have is teaching. And I really felt that science and teaching together really translates well to medicine because that's a lot of what we do is we take scientific information and we break it down and we educate our patients. And that's the way I think we're able to make the most meaningful difference in their lives is not just prescribing things, but actually teaching them about their conditions. And so that's been really fulfilling for me. And once I went into medical school, I think I've always kind of been interested in skin and beauty and health, but I wanted to go into medical school with a really open mind because you don't want to kind of pigeonhole yourself from the beginning. And I actually found in medical school, I loved everything. I loved internal medicine. I thought psychiatry was really interesting. Neuroscience was interesting to me. And I, oh, and I loved OBGYN. For a long time, I thought I was going to be a specialist in women's health and be an OBGYN. But ultimately, when I got to my dermatology rotation, I was like, oh, Never mind. This is this is it for me. I I love that you could see really sick patients that had a skin issue and that were hospitalized for it and really helped them that way. And that you could also see really healthy people in the office that just had one very distinct issue that you were helping them with. And I really like the idea of being a specialist, knowing everything about a very specific topic. And so dermatology was incredibly appealing to me for that reason. And that's sort of how I landed here. Okay. You know, you mentioned that you've always had somewhat of an interest in skincare and beauty. And, you know, I'm curious, I want to know a little bit more about that. Was that something that you just, you know, you grew up loving, like you always had an interest in beauty as, as a kid growing up? Was it something that kind of came later? You know, I'm, I'm just, I, oh, I always love hearing about came, people's relationships. Defi- if you look at photos of me from a child, you'll know it definitely came later. I would say I grew <laughs> up as sort of a stereotypical kind of like a tomboy. I played a lot of sports. My mom is, she would probably describe herself as like a hippie, super artistic, but was very much not going to push any type of beauty standard or anything on me. So, I mean, I didn't even learn how to use like a hair straightener until after college. So I really was kind of like a minimalist. And then when I got in, it was actually when I got into medical school that YouTube was starting to become a big thing. And I was starting to watch some of these like beauty experts. Like I got to learn how to curl my hair at some point in my life to be a professional. And I started watching videos and I thought, oh, this is fascinating. Like this adds this whole other flavor of things. And that's really when I got really into skincare and beauty and all of that. So it was definitely later in life, but now I feel like I have got it down. Yeah. 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 I love that. (laughs) What is your beauty philosophy? I think for me, I really like sort of minimalist, classic beauty is sort of, and sort of effortless. Like I feel like anytime you look at, when I look at a woman and I think, oh, she's really beautiful, or even just a person and think, oh, they're really beautiful. There's just this ease about it that has always been very appealing to me. So I sort of take that philosophy in just general beauty, whether that's makeup or hair, just having this sort of like effortless, minimalist appeal to it. But even as a cosmetic dermatologist, when I'm treating my patients with procedures and things like that, my goal is always for them to look really natural and like it's just themselves, but optimized and that they're not trying to look like someone else. So it's really taking your own beauty and then just perfecting it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on this podcast, we we often talk about beauty through the lens of well-being and wellness and health. And so, you know, I always like to ask my guests too, what is their well-being philosophy? Absolutely. And that's I'm glad you made that point because I think so many times people will come into my office and go, I just want beautiful skin or make my skin perfect. And really, we have to pivot that mindset and really aim for healthy skin because when you have healthy skin, that is your greatest opportunity to have beautiful skin. And it doesn't mean it's perfect and flawless and there's no texture to it or no brown spots or whatever, but it's just, it's healthy and that's the focus. And my overall kind of wellness philosophy, I think is is just to be well-rounded and everything in moderation. I try not to completely cut things out of my life. I really like to live a healthy, active lifestyle. I like to eat well, but I'm not so militant about it. It really is about the balance. And then I think for me, the mental health part of wellness is so huge and just keeping stress really well managed and making sure that no matter how busy my life gets, that I have time for things that really 
matter to me, whether that's time with my family or friends or spending time outdoors, which are all things I really love to do. And if I ever feel like I have too much going on in my life where I start having to sacrifice the things that I truly love, that's when I really recognize I need to cut back a little bit. Sure. Yeah. You know, I think I, I, I love acknowledging the fact that, you know, you you can see when you need to cut back and you've seen when you need to, you know, rebalance your life in a lot of ways. And I know you recently had a child and I I am sure that has affected that balance quite a bit. And I want to, I want to hear about, you know, what was, what was your experience like becoming a mother? Absolutely. I, yeah, I have a seven month, almost seven month old now named Theo. And for a really long time, I actually thought I was never going to have kids. It was something that I I, it is such a huge commitment and it changes your life so fundamentally that I really wanted to make sure that I was at a place in my career where I felt comfortable and that I felt financially stable and all of these things. And I think that has actually eased the transition into motherhood a little bit that I really felt like I had my bearings, it had my feet under me and have this really, I'm really lucky to have such a good network of support as well. My partner's incredibly supportive. We live near family and all of that has kind of eased that transition. Nonetheless, still incredibly challenging. I think physically it's demanding, right? You're not sleeping the way you ever used to sleep. And the recovery periods where you would normally have time after work to just maybe zone out on your phone for 20 minutes or go for a walk. And you you don't have that anymore. And so you really have to shift so that that time that you spend with your child is still somewhat restorative for you. And I think shifting my mindset and you never want to be like, oh, I have to spend time with my kid because it's such a privilege to get to do that. And really being able to frame that time with him that I spend after work or whatever as restorative time as well has, has helped a lot. Because if you just think of it as another job that you're going to when you go home from work, I think it's easy to kind of mentally burn out that way. But sure. it has been way more fulfilling than I ever imagined. I love being a mom. I would not consider myself like a warm and fuzzy person, but he's really done something to me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of at that age where I'm starting to have a little bit more of a maternal call than I think I ever have. I it think does, in my twenties, like, I was very much like, bit. yeah, it does sneak up on you. In my twenties, I never thought about it. I was never, never one of those people that I identified as like maternal, motherly, blah, blah, blah. I never blah. dreamt of like being a mom. It wasn't something that was in sort of my grand life plan, I guess. Same. I remember growing up and my mom would, you know, she would say like something about, you know, well, one day when you have kids and I would always like retort back, even as a kid, I'd be like, who says I'm going to have kids? And, you know, so like I was very much like very much independent in, in that way. Like I never thought about it. And then all of a sudden it's just in the past few years. I don't know if it was the pandemic. I don't know if it was like you know, I'm just getting to be that age. You know, I'm over 30 now, you know, just biological clock is ticking. <laughs> Completely. I think that's a huge challenge as a woman too, is that you have this fairly narrow window to decide whether or not you want to have children and then try to have them and then have them. Because that's the other thing is even if you decide, oh, I want a baby, I'm ready for it. It doesn't mean it's going to happen immediately. And that's this other thing you sort of have to think about. And that was something my partner and I were even thinking about is like, well, it's maybe not the perfect time to have a kid, although when is really, but who knows, this could be a one, two, three year long process. And so I think that's when we decided, well, we would be okay having a child now. So maybe it's a good time to to start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the the point of this this podcast or this episode in particular is about beauty when pregnant, breastfeeding, and, you know, the changes that that you might need to make. And, you know, I know so many women or people who get pregnant have questions about how they should approach beauty during this time. And I, I quickly want to ask, you know, how did becoming pregnant and how did becoming a mother change your relationship with beauty? I think for me, it was It really was the shift more on health and optimizing my health first and knowing that beauty could be a little bit more secondary. Also, just in routine and things like that, I've always been about efficiency regardless of what I'm doing in life. But I think now that I have less free time and things like that, being truly efficient with my beauty routine and how I approach things certainly has become more prominent as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So... I think pregnancy-safe skincare kind of gets thrown around in the beauty industry a lot. And, you know, I would categorize 
pregnancy safe under the same under the same umbrella that, you know, I would include clean or natural or even things like dermatologist tested. There's no real regulation around it. Right. So many words in the beauty industry aren't regulated. We, you mm-hmm. know, we, we talk about that quite a bit here. So I, I think that is why it is challenging for a lot of women to figure out what they want to be using during this time in their life. Right. So I'm curious, you know, like when people speak to you, whether it be patients, whether it be friends, whether it even be like yourself and your journey, you know, like what was your personal experience like navigating beauty products when you decided you wanted to become pregnant? And like, what was your experience navigating this whole like pregnancy safe beauty? It's hard. I mean, even as someone who's, I would say, you know, probably more educated in the space of skin and beauty and health than your average consumer or something like that, it's still tricky. And you're totally right. Pregnancy safe is an incredibly ambiguous term. Like what does safe mean? Does it mean it's not going to have any risk whatsoever of causing a problem? Does it mean that it's, I mean, it just, it is a tough term to dance around. And I think a lot of brands sort of capitalize on the advertising of pregnancy safe and things like that. And it's, it's tricky because it doesn't really mean anything. So when I was approaching it, I was really thinking of categories of ingredients that are big no-nos. And there's very, very few of those. And then also recognizing that the skin is not a sponge. I think so many people are worried about putting things on their skin and this concern that whatever they put externally is going to end up internally. And yes, there are some studies that show that some things you put on your skin end up in your bloodstream. But again, just because something's in your bloodstream doesn't mean it has a negative effect. And people get so worked up about skincare. And I feel like they don't think about the fact that we're walking through pollution on a daily basis, what they're eating, like all of these other things that actually end up inside of you, in your lungs, in your gut, have much more access to a developing fetus. So yet people get hung up on what they put on their skin. And so really my approach with my patients is to sort of take that fear out of them. But, you know, as soon as you get pregnant or even when you're trying to conceive, there's so many things that people are like, don't do this. Don't have sushi. Don't have soft cheese. Don't put sunscreen on. Don't do all these things. And if you're already carrying such a large burden and in being pregnant, I know I don't want to call it a burden, but it is this huge thing. You're responsible primarily for growing a human life inside your body. That's stressful in so many ways, emotionally and physically. And then to add this other weight of avoiding all of these normal things in your daily life, I think is it's kind of unfair. And it adds this extra stress that you really don't need when you're trying to get pregnant or when you are pregnant. So I kind of tried to like destigmatize ingredients for people because the vast majority of things that people are already using in their beauty routine whether it's makeup or skincare, are generally safe to continue using throughout, except for a couple of... Sure. Well, let's let's dive into those couple things. You know, what <laughs> What are the big no-nos? And let's just get those out of the way and like, establish them here. Yeah. So the really number one kind of no-no, I would say, is any type of tretinoin or retinoid. So these are vitamin A-derived molecules that women use in their routine, both for the treatment, and men, I should say, men and women, use in their routine for the treatment of acne primarily. And then they have these anti-aging effects. So prescription tretinoin or prescription retinoids are typically used for the treatment of acne and also other things like psoriasis. And then there are over-the-counter available sort of retinols, and that's what's used often for anti-aging to treat fine lines and wrinkles, dispigmentation, et cetera. And even that is a theoretical risk. It's not like there's a big study that shows people who put topical retinoids on their skin have birth defects. It, it, it really hasn't been borne out in the literature at all. But we know that when people take an oral form of vitamin A called isotretinoin, which is what it's an acne medication, that that can cause severe birth defects. And so it's sort of, we've sort of extrapolated and said, okay, well, if someone takes it orally in a high dose, mind you, their baby has a risk of being born with a, some type of site birth defect, then let's just not put it on the skin and not mess with it. And even that is a little bit of a dangerous mindset to have around skincare because then you might be like, well, just in case I'm not going to use this and just in case I'm not going to use this. And you do that too many times and you have nothing to put on. But I think for that reason of it being severely teratogenic or birth defect causing when taken orally, we, we stay away from retinoids. And then 
The only other one we really to have people stay away from is an ingredient called hydroquinone, which is also kind of known on the street as like bleaching cream. And it's used for treatment of melasma and dark spots. And because that can be absorbed into the bloodstream, and even though it's never been shown to have an effect on a developing fetus, we still have people stay away from it. Yeah. You know, this brings up something that I, I think is important to acknowledge in this conversation is, you know, we talk about that it's not borne out in the literature, you know, the, the research, et cetera. And it, that does bring up the fact that it's, in, it's incredibly hard to study these things on pregnant totally. women. It's right? not ethical <laughs> to give yeah. questionable things to a pregnant woman. You're never going to get that passed in, in a review when they're trying to decide what studies they're going to allow people to perform. And so, yeah, a little bit of is like, a lot of times the studies are more what we call like case reports where they they find 50 women who accidentally were take, using a topical retinoid for their first trimester and they study those women and see if their kids have any birth defects or things like that. But it's not like you can do a really systematized, randomized study on pregnant women with ingredients that are questionable. Sure. Yeah. I think it's just like a, a point that I, I like to make in these discussions just because, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, people will hear stuff about research and they don't understand like how complicated research actually is and, you know, how much actually goes into research. So I think it's sometimes good to just like always pepper in those those moments where you're like, no, this is actually much more complicated than than you might suspect to get any sort of research done in this capacity. Totally. You know, research get isn't like you snap your fingers. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. I know. Years and years of study, you know, and it's not just like just because there's a study on it doesn't mean that that is fact. I mean, you have to look at that's just one study on a small group of people and then to apply it to an entire population or something like a pregnant women, for example, you really shouldn't be doing that. The other thing I was going to mention that makes pregnancy safe skincare hard, and I didn't mention this before, is that there's just such different information out there. For example, there's an ingredient called salicylic acid that a lot of women will use to help with clogged pores. It's a beta hydroxy acid and use it for clogged pores. It's a nice exfoliant. It's in lots of washes and toners and even lotions. And some people say you can't use it. Some people say you can. And so I think that also the fact that women are getting mixed messaging during that time in their life is the other thing that makes it so challenging to decide like, well, what should I use and what's really, who should I really trust with this information? Sure. You know, on that front, who, you know, do you recommend that people just find a dermatologist during this time to help them, you know, suss through this information? You know, how do people go about cutting through the noise? Yes, it's tricky. I think, you know, discussing with your OBGYN is probably the primary person I would go to. Although if you happen to also have a dermatologist, that would be a good person to just check in with. But because there are so few things that truly need to be cut out, I would I would hope that at this point, OBGYNs are familiar with what things are really kind of considered taboo during pregnancy and which aren't. But I don't think you need to find a dermatologist explicitly during this time of your life to give you a skincare routine the vast majority of what you're doing is probably completely, completely fine. And I should say, even if you find out you're pregnant a few weeks in or even a few months in and you haven't changed your routine and you've been exposing yourself to some of these topicals, it's also okay to not freak out about it. The chance of a birth defect is so low. And again, it has not been shown to be problematic. So I also don't want people to have this huge weight of worry if they haven't altered their routine prior to becoming pregnant. Yeah. I I also want to, while we're on the topic of ingredients and kind of the fear-mongering that goes around ingredients, you mentioned salicylic acid is one that there's misinformation about where, you know, some people think that it's not right to use. Some people think it's fine. What are some other ingredients that you run into that there's misinformation about when it comes to pregnancy skincare? Sure. There's a lot. And the other thing I want to say about salicylic acid is I would feel so comfortable using it during pregnancy. It's a derivative of like aspirin. And we now tell pregnant women who are predisposed to getting high blood pressure during pregnancy to take aspirin orally every single day of their pregnancy. So to think that you couldn't put a 2% derivative of that on your skin once a day, I mean... It's kind of insane. But other ingredients that I think, you know, get a bad rap are things like alpha hydroxy acid. So glycolic acid, lactic acid, mandelic acid. These are actually excellent things to use during pregnancy if you're worried about pigmentation or your skin looking a little bit dull or you want to have something that's quote unquote anti-aging in your routine during pregnancy. And 
because you're not using retinol anymore. You know? Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I also tell women, like, you're growing a human. Like, you can take a break from your anti-aging routine for nine months or whatever, you know. It, you can come back. Anti-aging or just, like, well-aging in general is a lifelong commitment. And it's going to mm. ebb and flow through all phases of your life. And it's okay to have a little, it's not even a setback during your pregnancy, just a pause. And once you get back into it, you you really haven't lost much time at all. So it's all it's all relative there. But so the alpha hydroxy acids, I think, are big. There's also an ingredient called benzoyl peroxide that a lot of women will use or people use to treat acne. And acne is something that tends to change during pregnancy because of these big hormonal changes that you go through during that time. And a lot of women will get new acne during pregnancy. And we don't want to make everything off limits to pregnant people. And so benzoyl peroxide great ingredient for pregnant women. But I think those are kind of the common ones that people are worried about. Oh, and chemical sunscreen. So I don't even want to say chemical sunscreen, but sunscreens that use filters that are not exclusively zinc oxide or titanium dioxide are fine when you're pregnant. Well, I think that is very reassuring for a lot of people. I You said something that like we can't have everything off limits for pregnant people. And I think that is very much like core messaging that I think is important for this episode in particular. You know, we can't take everything off the table. That's not fair. Yeah. Um, It's not, and it's not necessary. And that's the biggest thing is like, of course, if these things were truly dangerous for pregnant people, I'd be the first person as a physician to say, Hey, stay away. But at the same time, I want to empower women that this is already a challenging time in your life and you don't have to revamp your entire beauty and skincare routine in addition to all the other things you are now tasked with. Sure. I want to talk about the skin itself during pregnancy because we know that the skin goes through changes. And I think there are a few different areas that we can talk about this. I think that, you know, we can talk about the changes that might be happening on the face, you know, due to hormonal stuff. And then, you know, obviously changes that happen on your belly when you're growing. Why don't we start with, because that's, you know... That's a fact. I mean, your body, it's not just your face that changes in pregnancy and perhaps a lot more noticeably, your body goes through a lot of shifts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, why don't we start with the face and then we can work our way down? <laughs> sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably the biggest thing to note is when you're pregnant, you have this big surge of hormones in your body. You have this shoot up of estrogen, which is one, you know, major hormone that helps you grow your baby and then progesterone as well. And progesterone is a hormone that helps you not go into labor prematurely. It's a very important hormone to have going on, but it's in the category of androgen. And androgen are traditionally considered a category of male hormones. And one thing progesterone can do is it can stimulate oil production. And that doesn't always just manifest as oilier skin during pregnancy. Although when you think about like a pregnancy glow, some of that might be oil, but also that can predispose you to forming acne. And so a lot of women who've had acne under really good control for a long time will notice new breakouts on their face and also on their body when they get pregnant. But your skin also can look a lot better when you're pregnant because you have this surge of estrogen and estrogen can help make your skin look plump and bouncy and more youthful. And it's also why women who go through menopause feel like their skin really takes a hit is because they have this rapid decrease in estrogen. And so it's always a balance. Some people's skin gets better in pregnancy. Some people's skin gets worse and there's no way to predict it. And that's the other part about pregnancy is there's so many things that you just can't even anticipate. And so you sort of have to wait and see how your skin reacts to that phase of your life and then adjust your routine if needed accordingly. Yeah. Follow-up question to that is, you know, you have this surge of hormones during pregnancy, obviously, like we talked about, and then you have your baby. And then what happens after? Is there like a <laughs> yeah. trickle down effect? Like, yeah, there is. I'm it's asking like a, it's not a genuine curiosity. Yeah, I'm realizing no, it, right in this moment that I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. It's a big, it's a come down for sure. And that, you know, you actually hear a lot about things like postpartum depression and all of that. And part of that is this massive drop off in hormones that you really never experienced during any other time in your life. And so the time between when you're trying to conceive, which is tricky because you've often gone, some, for some women, they've gone off their acne medication, they've gone off their birth control, which maybe was helping with their skin and their hair as well. And then you get pregnant and then you come down off of that. And then it can even change more than that. Are you breastfeeding? Do you, do, do you start up birth control immediately right after you get pregnant? And so it's this big time of flux in women's lives and it really affects your body, your skin. And 
your mental state. And that's huge. In addition to having a new baby with all this new stress and no sleep and other things in your life. So it's, it's an emotional and physical roller coaster, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I want to, you know, like I mentioned, I want to talk about the skin on your belly. Yeah. I know that a lot of women go, you know, experience stretch marks or, mm -hmm. you know, obviously like irritation and itching can be a concern during this time. You know, so walk me through the various things that can happen to the skin in that area. Sure. So I think anytime you have skin that's rapidly changing in size, whether that's shrinking down in someone who's having like rapid weight loss, for example, or expanding, which is tends to be the more common way as humans we tend to go, whether that's someone's like bodybuilding, putting on new muscle mass or pregnancy, it puts your skin under tension and your skin is very adaptable. It can grow and shrink with you, but if it's growing at a rate that's faster than it can sort of keep up with, you can do sort of internal damage to the skin. So what happens with a stretch mark is essentially you get rupturing of a couple of the structural proteins in the skin, collagen and elastin. And these are the things that make your skin stretchy and bouncy. And when that elastin and collagen rupture, that's when you get a stretch mark. It's basically a scar of the deeper skin tissues. And of course, as a dermatologist, I always get the question like, how can I prevent stretch marks? What creams can I use? What am I, what, what's the best intervention? And because I got that question so much, I ended up making an entire YouTube video about it. But essentially it's so genetic, whether or not you get stretch marks, it's so much predetermined by that. And then also if you have more rapid weight gain. So for women who tend to gain more weight in their pregnancy or tend to carry all of their weight in their belly, for example, they may be more prone to getting stretch marks. And that is nothing, they don't have control over that. And there's really no creams that have consistently been shown to help, you know, vitamin E or cocoa butter or shea butter or all of those things. Like there's nothing consistently that has been shown to help with stretch marks. So I tend to tell women like you already have, you're already so tired when you're pregnant. At least I was. The thought of like massaging cocoa butter on my belly for 15 minutes a day was just not going to be realistic for me. And it really didn't show in the data that it's helpful at all anyway. So it's not something that I encourage my patients to do or to spend, uh, you know, a big investment of their money on. You know, sometimes belly creams can be really expensive and there's really, there's no evidence that they're effective at all. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned the genetic factor. So like mm -hmm. hypothetically, if you are somebody who like, has stretch marks on like their hips or <laughs> something like that. Maybe you might be prone for that. I don't know why I would be asking that question. Yeah, asking for a friend. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's, it's interesting. So even if you're prone to stretch marks on other parts of your body, like say when you went through a growth spurt during puberty and you got them on your breasts or your hips or your calves, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get them on your belly. Because for example, I got stretch marks on my hips when I went through puberty, but I didn't get a single stretch mark during my pregnancy. And I was really mm. surprised by that, but I think more likely is to look at a, a parent. So if you know that your mom has a lot of stretch marks, that might be something to think about. But I also think people gain such different amounts of weight during their pregnancy. And if you gain 25 pounds during your pregnancy versus you gain 80 pounds or 100 pounds during your pregnancy, which does happen to some women, that is really going to change as well. And of course, you know, you should always discuss weight gain and what those goals are, because of course you're going to gain weight during pregnancy. That's important for your growing a baby. But discussing that with your OBGYN, kind of what your target weight gain goals are and the closer you stick to that target, the less likely you are to get stretch marks because you're not expanding that skin as much or as rapidly. I see. Okay. Is there anything you can do after the fact? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, at home, so we can give prescriptions for topical tretinoin so that that thing we tell you to avoid <laughs> you know, while you're pregnant. So you can't do it while you're pregnant, uh, but you can do it after you're pregnant. You can do it while you're breastfeeding. That's really important. So many people think you can't use retinoids when you're breastfeeding and you totally can. So you can use those on your belly. That's probably has the most data. Things with, top, with hyaluronic acid have been shown to be like marginally helpful. So that might be something we're thinking, but I think retinoids are really where it's at for that. And then there are in-office procedures as well. Mm. The best time to address a stretch mark is when it's red. So that's a fresh stretch mark. And that's where you want to do the intervention with like a laser that targets redness, because that can really help fade it and shrink down the stretch mark the most. But then there are other lasers and microneedling and other devices that can help with stretch marks 
a bit. Now, one thing sometimes women will come into into my office for for a consultation is they want to get rid of their stretch marks, but they have tons of skin laxity as well. It's not just a stretch mark, but they have a lot of loose tissue there. And that's really not where a non-invasive specialist like me can come in. That's really where you need a plastic surgeon to actually go in and physically cut out and remove that Got skin it. and those stretch marks. And, you know, that's traditionally known as a mommy makeover. But there are some things that just it, it's not going to get fully better. It, it really is a scar. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, like treating scars are very challenging and really um, challenging. And I think the expectation always has to be maybe improvement, but not erasing that because you it's really hard to get the skin to remodel completely like that. It's a true longstanding injury of the skin. Yeah. You know, you you mentioned breastfeeding when we were talking about retinol. And I, I know breastfeeding tends to be obviously a large part of this conversation too. What sort of advice do you have for women who choose to breastfeed in regards to their skincare? Is there anything that they need to be worried about? Or is that, again, a lot of myths? Yeah. A lot of myths. Okay. I think you know, there's the uh, with with breastfeeding. You know, you have to think. You have to think logically. Like, why why was I told to stop this during pregnancy? For example, retinoids. It's because if it theoretically got into the uterus, got into the baby's bloodstream, it could cause a birth defect. Now let's think about it. You have a fully formed human outside of your body. If you have retinoids on your skin, and even if they happen to get into your breast milk, are you worried about a birth defect anymore? No, the baby's born. So that's like one thing. The only thing I tend to have people avoid still through breastfeeding is hydroquinone. And I have them stop that during pregnancy as well, because again, it's absorbed into the skin. We know it gets into breast milk. And although we don't know if it has any negative effects because it's detected in larger quantities in breast milk, it's sort of out of an abundance of caution. And oh, the other thing I didn't mention during pregnancy is if someone's using topical minoxidil or Rogaine for hair growth, uh-huh. I have them not use that during pregnancy nor when they are breastfeeding. Okay. And is that yeah. just a caution thing again? Yeah. So we know that that can absorb into the bloodstream as well. And because it can affect things like blood pressure and heart rate and things like that, we tend to have people just avoid it and continue it later after they're done breastfeeding and done with that journey. But everything else with breastfeeding, you can you can pretty much pick it right back up. You can do in-office procedures generally when you're breastfeeding. Every dermatologist has a different level of comfort treating breastfeeding moms with things like Botox or fillers or things like that. But yeah. for example, I got I got Botox when I was breastfeeding and it was it's just fine. So I did want to ask you about in-office stuff and what women should feel comfortable doing, not doing during this time. What sort of advice do you have? Yeah. So I think Probably the main thing that people can resume and feel pretty comfortable about is laser treatments. People get worried about the topical numbing being a problem. And if the topical numbing gets into my breast, you know, into my breast milk and I feed it to my baby, is that a problem? And it's not, you know, we inject babies with anesthetics when they're in the hospital for their own procedures. And remember, having it consumed by your baby is not the same as having it injected directly into their bloodstream. So generally women can kind of pick that back up. With Botox, there's no evidence that Botox injected into the muscles in small quantities for cosmetic reasons. There's no evidence that it gets into the breast milk. It's a large molecule. It it can't make it in there. But I think most dermatologists won't inject patients during that time in their life out of sort of not even caution. It's more of like a medical legal issue where there's so many things that can go on with a developing baby. And you just don't want to be even part of that potential equation. So when I'm yeah. deciding whether or not a patient's going to get injected in my office with Botox when they're breastfeeding, it's a really in-depth conversation because if you're the type of mom where you get your Botox while you're breastfeeding and then your baby has a fever that night, if you're going to go straight to, oh, it's the Botox, or if your yeah. baby isn't babbling this next day and you're wondering, like, could it be that? It's not worth it. It's just mentally it's too stressful to even think of that as a variable. So I usually just don't inject patients when they're breastfeeding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously you have to, you know, it's hard. It's just your own because like there's no true medical reason that you, you should or need to. We know that women who have other diseases that they get larger quantities of Botox for, whether it's migraines or muscle spasms, they get it throughout their pregnancy. They get it while they're breastfeeding and they have no problems. But when it comes to an elective procedure or cosmetic procedure, I think we just, we pause a little bit because it's not medically essential. But at the same time, I also feel bad telling women that they can't have something for for really no true good medical reason. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's that's really interesting that that is where the the rationale comes from. And obviously it's a it's a sound rationale and it makes a lot of sense. I guess I just I didn't really realize that that was where it's it came tough. from. You have to protect <laughs> yourself as a physician, you know, practicing. Yeah, of course. You know, we know that OBGYNs are probably sued more than any other type of physician really? because they're deal yeah, way more, I mean their malpractice insurance is exorbitant because they're dealing with a baby and like an infant yeah. and if there's anything that goes wrong there that people get angry but you know parents get angry or frustrated and they want to sue because of that which I understand completely being an, a mom if, some, if I felt like there was foul play and my baby was involved I would be ferocious <laughs> yeah but that, that is something that all physicians or anyone in the healthcare field really does have to think about as a secondary thing is does does this hold up in court which is sad but true yeah wow wow quickly I want to ask the last question I wanted to ask about, you know, this skincare and pregnancy before I get into what you do for yourself is mm -hmm. I want to ask about chafing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of women deal with chafing, especially when they're pregnant, you oh, know, yeah. because of the weight gain, because of, you know, breasts, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, totally. What and you're way more, at least I was so sweaty when I was pregnant. I was like, man, I'm just like sweaty all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what can people do? It's tricky. I think, you know, probably the best product that I like for chafing is something called Body Glide. It's something we recommend okay. for like marathon runners and long oh, distance yeah. cyclers. And it's basically like a skin lubricant that usually comes in like a little stick that you would apply. And in marathon runners, they, you know, people put it on their nipples so they don't have nipple chasing, chafing, Ooh, nipple chasing. That's a whole other thing. But you apply it to... They, you know, women can apply it to their inner thighs. They can apply it under their breasts. And then also I think just having clothing that's really breathable and supportive. If, if there's any time to invest in yourself, it's during pregnancy. So if you need like a couple new wardrobe items to make yourself more comfortable, to make your clothing more breathable for you, that I think is like a solid recommendation. I think that's an incredible tip that, that I think a lot of people should hear and take in because I think so many times you hear people talk about pregnancy they're like well it's temporary so I don't want to you know buy clothes invest or, in xyz yeah. or whatever it is and like I get that and everyone has budgets and I understand that totally. but to your point if there is ever a time to invest in yourself like come totally. on you are growing another human being <laughs> I mean what a responsibility I mean that is like the literally the weight of our future is in your abdomen I mean yeah, exactly. Everyone has a budget. You need to respect that. But at the same time, I think it's such a nice time to pamper yourself because there's so many days that you that are so, so hard, you know, yeah. while you're growing your baby, even postpartum. And so if you need a little pick me up, I'm, I'm going to endorse that fully. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I endorse it too. And I'm not even a mom. Okay. I want to talk about you and what you mm -hmm. do. Obviously you have gorgeous skin. So I need Thank to you. know what your routine is. <laughs> Yeah. Give it to me. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you know, as someone who's in like the beauty and skin space, I have to say I try a bajillion things. I'm constantly doing, trying new things, adding new products in and out. So I do have a routine that I sort of stick to, but I'm also bringing new things in to test all the time. I'm sort of of the mind, fewer, better products. It doesn't, and better doesn't necessarily mean expensive or luxury or anything like that. It just means like really thinking about intentional skincare and that everything you're incorporating, you can look at that product and go, okay, I have a real reason why I'm bringing this into my routine. And I'm not just bringing it in because everyone tells me I need to have vitamin C in my routine, but like, what is it? Why am I using it? And if you can't really tell yourself that, then there's no reason it needs to be in your routine. Okay. With that said, in the morning, I typically don't wash my face with soap. I usually just do water on my face. I think a lot of people are, a, you know, you're taught from your teenage years, wash your face twice a day. People are kind of misguided in that acne is like a hygiene issue. So you're told to wash. But I, I find just water on the face is enough for me to sort of clean things off. You don't need to wash off your products from the night before unless you really feel greasy or you wake up and you, your skin feels really oily, which mine I'm, I'm dry, so it never feels oily. So I won't splash water on my face. The next thing I do is I put on vitamin C. Am I allowed to say brands or should I just not say brands? Oh, please. Yeah, <laughs> go okay. for it. The vitamin C that I've been using probably for the last half a decade is by SkinCeuticals. It's their CE Ferulic. It is the yeah. most expensive skincare item in my routine, but they are sort of the company that pioneered vitamin C. And they've done clinical trials on their vitamin C to really prove its efficacy because 
vitamin C is an incredibly unstable molecule. And so if I'm going to pay for it, I just want to make sure that I know it's going to work. And the reason vitamin C is nice is because it helps protect you against what we call free radical damage. So anything like UV radiation hitting your skin or pollution interacting with your skin or even just the normal metabolism that your cells go through on a day-to-day basis, you generate these free radicals, which are these sort of toxic molecules that can go around and bump into your collagen and elastin and break them down faster than they normally would. So anything that can sort of sop up those free molecule, free radicals and prevent them from causing excess damage is good. So that's why I use vitamin C. That goes on first. And then oftentimes I just put on sunscreen. So you could put on a moisturizer afterward. Or you can just go into sunscreen. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of sunscreens are already formulated in a moisturizing base. And so for a lot of people, especially if you find that your skin gets heavy or greasy or oily throughout the day, you can just go straight in and do your sunscreen. So vitamin C and sunscreen are like my main two steps in the morning before I go in and do my makeup and that kind of thing. Okay. At nighttime, do you make any swaps to that? Obviously, you're probably not wearing sunscreen at night. No sunscreen (laughs) at night. And you know, it's funny to say that, but I've had so many patients come in and be like, do I need to put sunscreen on at night? And I'm like, is that a real question? But it's true. It's like some people don't realize. So yeah, yeah, definitely no vitamin C or sunscreen at night. And the reason you use vitamin C in the morning is because it's very complementary to sunscreen. It can actually make your sunscreen a little bit more effective. You could use vitamin C at night. That's not wrong to do, but it's probably optimally used in the morning. And then at night, I do something called a double cleanse, which used to be this like really radical phenomenon. And now everyone seems to know about it. So that's great. But it's essentially using more of like an oil or a balm based cleanser to break down your makeup. It's sort of akin to using a makeup wipe before you would go in and wash your face with your normal cleanser. But it's a little more gentle than a makeup wipe. And for me, who wears makeup on a regular basis, it just helps kind of break that down first. And then I go in with a more classic like gel-based cleanser to rinse off the rest of my makeup. And then every single night, rain or, like always, I will put on prescription strength tretinoin. Okay. So I guess rarely I'll skip a night if my skin's feeling a little spicy or angry or something like that. But a prescription tretinoin, and that is again for like helping with pigmentation, helps with fine lines, wrinkles. It's just like the best anti-aging treatment you could do for your skin at home. And then I go in with a moisturizer. So it's basically like cleanse, tretinoin, a treatment, and then moisturizer. And that's that's okay. usually it. Now, sometimes I bring in exfoliating acids and sometimes I'll do some other things, but that's kind of it. Oh, and then I use a red light LED mask. Yeah, usually before I do any of that. And is that regularly like nightly or is that weekly? Usually three times, three or four times a week. So usually, I mean, every company who makes a red light LED mask will have their sort of protocol. But usually every other night is the way that I do it. And so I usually do it before I put on my topical product. So I'll wash my face and then I'll go in bed and put on like a 10 minute Peloton meditation and put my red light mask on. And then after that, I'll either get up and go put my two creams on or I actually have a whole nother set of them right by my bed. And that's usually, to be honest, that's usually what I do. I don't even get out of bed. I just put my <laughs> tretinoin on, put my moisturizer on, and then I, I read a little bit before bed and go to bed. So that's like a very mind, body, green-esque nighttime routine. <laughs> I love that. You're like, I'm meditating and I'm doing my skincare. I'm well, taking it you easy. Know, it used to like really you know. stress me out to try and find time to meditate because everyone's yeah. like, meditation is so great. And I always wanted to incorporate it, but I was just like, I don't have time to meditate, which is like, of course, the person who needs to meditate the most, right? So by kind of combining it with my red light treatment, where when you have a red light mask on, you don't want to have your eyes open. So you can't be reading, you shouldn't be on your phone. So sort of that has made time for a 10 minute nighttime meditation for me. And that seems to work really well. Although I've frightened my husband so many times where he like walks in the bedroom and I look <laughs> like Darth Vader and I'm just like on my back like a mummy and I'm sure. Well, listen, the meditation where it glides into the last thing I wanted to ask you about is how you take care of yourself as a whole. What are your well-being must-haves? Ooh, okay. I got to say my Peloton bike is like pretty high up there. I got it during the pandemic yeah. and I was never yeah. one who could be really excited about cardio. And that has been something that I now can do a, a, just a, a I I mean, I'm not going to like try to make it sound like I'm better at it than I am. I just, I'm only able to get a a spin class in a couple times a week, but it's better than nothing. And then I love yoga. So yoga is something that I started practicing at the end of medical school. And that's something that's kind of a regular part of my day, even if it's 10 minutes just to like stretch out the day. Those are kind of my two main exercises aside from hiking. So I live in the Bay Area. 
in you know Northern California, the weather's beautiful. I spend a lot of time outdoors with my family and friends and like pretty much every week we go on some type of like hike at least once. So those are sort of my like physical well-being things in terms of like food and diet and all of that. I'm fairly plant-based in what I eat, though I have nothing that is off limits. To me, food is not just about fuel, but also about pleasure and culture and enjoyment. And so I like I have dessert every single night, for example. But again, everything in moderation. I'm not a big drinker, so I don't really drink alcohol, but I can definitely make up for that in chocolate intake. (laughs) (laughs) And then in terms of mental wellness, I mean, I do meditate, but again, it's like 10 minutes. It's not a, it's not a huge part of my day. I would not say it's an essential part of my well-being, but when I do it, I, I feel better. And I feel really fortunate in my life that anxiety is not something I've really dealt with a lot. People would be like, what, what does it take to ramp Sam Ellis up and get you like off kilter? Cause for me, I just like, like I'm too calm or something like that. But I, and I feel like it used to be like to my detriment because people are like, does anything get you excited? You know, Uh, but it actually has worked out really well in my adult life because I feel like I can just naturally stay calm even when the world around me is uh, anything but. Yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people are probably envious of hearing that. I know I am. I know. <laughs> I, I, like, I know. I don't even want to say it because people are just like, ew, just like shut up, you know? But I feel like that is just... <laughs> that no, I want to like take it from you. I want to like steal personality it. That has all, like, I think it's pretty counterintuitive. I think people think all physicians are like type A perfectionists. And I would say, I tell people I'm type A minus. So like when it comes to my patients and everything, like I really am a perfectionist just in that because it's, it's their life in my hands in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm not going to skimp on that. But when it comes to my own life, I'm okay if things are a little bit messy or things aren't perfectly scheduled. I really try to be go with the flow. And I think that a lot of the people in my life, I think, appreciate that that quality in me. And I'm learning to be realize that it's, it's okay to feel like you're not like intense about all things. Well, you know, just a uh, to reiterate on your ease of nature, I, I was actually throughout this conversation, I'm like, she's so easy to talk to. Like she oh, just has this you. like nice flow about her. So <laughs> it, it, it obviously, you know, comes through in a very organic way. And it's, a, it's clearly a very good quality of yours. Thank so. you. I really appreciate that. My, my hidden superpower. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good one. Well, listen, I had so much fun chatting with you today. Like I said, you're very easy to talk to. And I think this was super, super informative. And like I said, I have had several, several, several people reach out asking for something like this. And so I think it's going to be hugely beneficial for, you know, listeners who who are either pregnant or looking to get pregnant or, you know, are just are thinking about that at that time in their lives. I certainly put myself in a camp in that camp. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I think anytime we can help people make more informed choices about their life and on their body, I'm happy to do it. So thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.